This morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs. Let's begin in chapter 6. I'm going to have you turn to three portions of the Bible today, but I'm going to be quoting a lot from Proverbs. Friday morning in our home was a classic moment. It seems my son had a dream the night before, and he was telling it to my wife, who was in Nathan's bedroom listening as he was waking up. He said, Mom, I had a dream. It's about a girl in my class named Emily. She's beautiful. Mom, I, I dreamt that we, we were married. Now, listen, this is between us, right? This won't go out of here, right? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Have pity on a pastor's son. He is like a living illustration. Have pity on a pastor's son. He is like a living illustration. That's why I need more kids, so I can have more illustrations. No, I'm just kidding. Nathan was talking. He said, I had a dream about Emily. She's a beautiful girl, and she's in my class, and I was dreaming that we were married. And then he said, Mom, I'm about to tell you something that might make you sad, or it's going to make you mad. It might hurt your feelings. Mom, Emily's prettier than you are. She said, well, Nathan, that's good. You should marry a girl that's prettier than your mother. And then I came in the room and he started telling, or she started telling me the story about what the dream was about. And then as they were telling me the story, my wife said, well, at least daddy thinks I'm prettier. Nathan looked at me and he said, not if he saw Emily. Tell you what, Emily must be a knockout. (laughs) Speech is generally how humans communicate. Not always. Sometimes we use body language. Sometimes our emotions run very, very deep. And words are inadequate to communicate what we want to communicate. We can't think of the right words. But generally, for the most part, we use words when we communicate. In fact, one of the things that mark us from other living creatures is our ability to articulate words. You see, dogs bark. They don't say, excuse me, that bothers me. Cats meow. Cows moo. But humans can articulate and learn language. And so we communicate that way to one another. But our words can be delightful or they can be drastic. They can destroy people's lives. How important are words? Does it really matter what you say? It's just speech. I think the one to ask that question to is an apostle by the name of James who wrote so much about it in his New Testament book. And this is one of the things he said. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. How many perfect people do we have here this morning who's never at fault with what they say? Oh, we couldn't raise our hand, could we? 
And he goes on to say, He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. One of the mega themes of Proverbs is speech, human speech. In fact, words like words, lips, tongue, mouth are used about 150 times in the book of Proverbs. It's a smattering throughout the entire treatise of Proverbs. And I think probably one of the most important is found in Proverbs 18.21 that simply says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And some of you are turning there, and I ask you to turn to Proverbs 6 because we're about to read that. I just gave you that banner statement. It says in Proverbs 6, and I think it adds gravity to the issue, in verse 16, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, there's a list of what God hates, and that's pretty important, isn't it? If God says, there's something that really bothers me, in fact, I hate it, we ought to listen up. Notice that three of the seven things that God hates have to do with what? The misuse of the human tongue. Words. Verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies, one who sows discord among the brethren. Verse 17, a lying tongue. Now, fortunately, we know the solution. If God hates the misuse of speech, the solution is the correct use of speech, saying the right thing at the right time. In fact, one of my favorite proverbs of all time says, Words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in settings of silver. Words fitly spoken. Just the right touch. That's the right word. It's like an apple of gold in a beautiful frame or setting of silver. But the solution, saying the right thing, is truly easier said than done. In fact, so many of us, if there's one big area where we really have problems, it's with the mouth, the speech, the misuse of our words. Mark Twain said, The difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. Big difference. One is brilliant, powerful. The other is related in name only. The word and the almost right word. There are people that have tongue trouble. In fact, it's the thing that gets them into trouble more than anything else. They can't hold their tongue. They try. I spoke with a few people after first service. That's my one area, holding my tongue. Well, I pray that none of us will be like Arabella Young. Uh, She died. She's from England and in a little churchyard on some windswept hillside in England in a church cemetery. There's a simple tombstone. And tombstones usually have the date of birth, the date of death, and a few short things. But this was not a good epitaph. It says, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. It took death to get that tongue under control. Sad picture. This morning, I want to look at kind of a general overview of human speech before next week and the week after we get into some of the details. 
First of all, I want to discuss the weight of our words. That is, our words are powerful. They do things. They mean things. And then also I want to balance that out with the weakness of our words. First of all, the weight of our words. Our words are very powerful. It's significant what we speak. When an ambassador goes overseas to represent our nation, he uses words to represent the nation. When a teacher in a classroom wants to stretch the minds of her students, she uses words. When a lawyer wants to defend his client and prove him innocent, he has to craft his words like apples of gold and settings of silver. The night I asked my wife to marry me, how did I do it? With words. Clumsy words, confused words, probably too many words. But words, nonetheless. Finally, I just spit it out. Will you marry me? She said, I already said yes five minutes ago. (laughs) And I was so dense in my communication, I didn't pick up on it. The day I responded to the gospel, I heard words that were preached. We've gathered here this morning. We've sung songs. I surrender all. Powerful words that we said to God. And now we're all gathered around with open Bibles listening to words. If you ever think that words are not important, just try a case of laryngitis. The times that you want to say things and you're unable to say them. And imagine how compounded that problem is for a public speaker. I'll never forget going to a conference and I was one of the featured speakers. As soon as I got there, I felt my voice leaving. I had arrived. My voice was going back home. And by the second session where I was speaking, I was losing it completely and I had to finish out the week making my points dogmatically with a whisper. It was tough. According to statistics, a person, an average person, spends a fifth of his or her life talking. Man, that's a big chunk. A fifth of your life. Now, I say that's an average. Some people exceed the average. Some people go under. Some people, you know, speak at 30, 40 miles an hour with gusts up to 60 or 70. But this is the average. A fifth of your life is spent saying things to other people or about other people. It's estimated that the words you speak in a given day would fill a book with 50 pages in it. The average person over a lifetime altogether would be able to fill 130, no, 3,000 volumes, excuse me. At the end of a year, it would be 132 volumes. At the end of his life, 3,000 volumes. Uh, The cumulative speech would be about 1,500,000 words. That's the average you. Now, we also know, and I'm going to walk very carefully right here, we also know that men usually communicate in words a little less than women do. And research, notice I said research, tells us that girls have greater linguistic abilities. Notice how carefully I crafted that phrase. (laughs) Greater linguistic abilities. Usually, and I say usually, I'm painting with a broom here, but usually the female is able to express her thoughts and her feelings a lot better than men do. Now, what that means in real life is that Husbands think their wives talk too much. And wives get bugged at their husband's apparent reticence to say anything at all. 
Now, the way it can sometimes work is, let's say God gives a guy 50,000 words, a d- uh, the girl 50,000 words a day to speak and gives him 25,000 words to speak. He's been at the office all day working. He's been on the floor. He's been with clients. By the time he gets home from work, he's already used up 24,500. She's just getting started. <laughs> and if husbands and wives don't understand the differences, there's going to be some conflict at that. Uh, one of the reasons I love the story of John the Baptist so much is because his dad uh, fell into a problem where he couldn't speak. Remember the story? Zechariah is in the temple. He was offering incense as the priests were supposed to do. And as he was offering incense in the temple in Jerusalem, who appeared to him? An angel appeared to him. And he had the right uh, response. He was scared to death. And the angel started talking to him. So here he's seeing an angel talking to him. And the angel says, John, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's going to be great. And he tells a little bit about his life. I know that you're old and your wife Elizabeth has passed the ability to bear, but she's going to have a son. And then he asks a stupid question. How can I know this is going to really happen? Now, if you had an angel speak to you, wouldn't that be enough proof? You know, for most people, they'd say, you know, an angel came, stopped by today and gave me a message. And he knew it was an angel, yet he said, how do I know that you're not pulling my leg? And I'll tell you, you won't be able to talk until that boy is delivered. He went home. He had to use drawings or signs to convey. Now, his wife, Elizabeth, is excited. She's having a child. And for the next several months, there's John hearing his wife get excited all the time. There's no telephones to call her girlfriend. So he's hearing day in and day out. His wife, Elizabeth, gets so excited about this baby. And he's going, he can't say a word. Words are powerful. They have weight. Again, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's quite a statement. Words can destroy a person. Words can enrich a person's life. And I think it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. I've heard that scripture more abused than taught correctly. But if we use the Bible as our guide, there are two qualities that words have. And the description death and life are in their power is very apt. The first quality is that words get inside of us. The second quality is that words have this tendency to spread around us. But first of all, words can get inside of us. You say, what do you mean, get inside? Well, whenever you hear people speak to you or about you, it does something more than just to you. Those words they speak go inside of you. They penetrate your mind, your heart. They make you feel a certain way. They have the ability to penetrate. You know, we talk about the information age today and we tout that. We're in the greatest age, the information age. We have the internet. Knowledge doubles every two years. But listen, words and information do more than just give information, especially when it's information about you. They do something inside of a person. That's what makes them so powerful. Words affect your emotions. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Ever know anybody like that? With a sharp tongue? There is one who speaks with the piercings of a sword. Every now and then I'll meet a verbal terminator. They have sharpened their tongue and they can't help but spew garbage. 
We had a phone call this week. Our secretary picked it up. Some gal, I don't know who she was, says, I guess she came to church here, but she just kept spewing insult after insult to our secretary on the phone. Proverbs 18:14 asks this question, Who can bear a broken spirit? When you hear words like, You fool, you idiot, you're so worthless, what does that make you feel? Can you detach from that quite readily? Most people can't. How many times have you said something that was biting and cutting, only to wish you hadn't said it? Have you ever had this experience? You've said something, it came into your mind, and as soon as you said it, you wish you could reach out, grab the words before they got to the ears, aptly stuff them back down your throat, and start all over. But you can't do it. The damage has been done. You now have to move into damage control mode. Start backpedaling. Well, what I really meant was... And usually you dig deeper every time you do that. The damage has been done. There's a little article, Medicine at Work, published by the Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association. The article stressed the importance of words before and during surgery because the words get inside the patient's mind. The article says, As the anesthetic is given for surgery, deadly fear may strike the patient when he hears someone say, I'm going to shoot him now. Now, doctor lingo is, we're going to give him an injection. But, you know, you're falling into a sleep. You don't really know where you are. And you hear, I'm going to shoot him now. <laughs> you can understand dread fear. Or, hook up the monitor. The article says, monitor to the drugged patient may sound like monster. Hook him up to the monster. Or, a doctor may declare in disgust, You know, this isn't my day. (laughs) You're drifting into anesthetic sleep and you hear your surgeon declare, you know, this isn't my day. And you're thinking, if it ain't your day, (laughs) what's going to happen to mine? (laughs) CBS released a documentary on the Carpenters. Karen Carpenter, you may remember, when she was 32 years old, died of heart failure. The reason she died of heart failure is because of a self-abuse, a condition known as anorexia nervosa. And the documentary was trying to probe why did she even get on this self-destructive pattern? And they said they could be traced back to an interviewer who once called her Richard's chubby sister. And those words detonated like a bomb in her brain and ate away at her heart. They did something inside. They penetrate. Words can have an effect. Now, the opposite is also true. When you hear words like, friend, I love you, you're important to me, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you're handsome, what does that do to you? Different effect. Proverbs 12:18 I just quoted it there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword but the tongue of the wise promotes health Another scripture says anxiety is in the heart of a man and causes depression but a good word makes it glad Another proverb pleasant words listen to this are like honeycomb sweetness to the soul and health to the bones you've probably noticed You say just a right word to a person without flattering them, but genuinely complimenting them. It's like the countenance lifts. You've given them worth. 
You've acknowledged them. You've affirmed them. I was reading a little article in the Reader's Digest. A man wrote it. He had gone to church with his wife. The sermon the pastor quoted from and was expounding on that day was this scripture, Proverbs 16:24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And as he was expounding on it, the minister said, Listen, you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. And as he was going through that whole spiel, the wife turned to the husband, put her head on his shoulder, and she said, I just love to watch your muscles ripple when you take out the garbage. Isn't that better than a nag? You'll never take out the garbage. I love to watch those muscles ripple when you take out the garbage. I don't know if it worked. But do you know what it's like to hear words that gladden your heart? Do others know what it's like to hear words from your mouth that genuinely gladden their hearts? Can you imagine what the disciples must have felt like? Afraid, the Bible says they were. Alone, locked in the upper room. The doors were locked for fear of the Jews. This is after the crucifixion. They thought if they got Jesus, we're next. We'll be crucified. They'll kill us. They lacked peace. They had no peace of mind, no peace of heart. Jesus appeared. He didn't need a lock. He just appeared in the room. And what did He say to him? He said, Peace to you. My peace I leave with you. And that's exactly what they needed to hear. Like sweetness, it just raised their countenance. There was a man who went to a restaurant and he overheard a conversation. He was writing a little discourse. He said, When I went into the restaurant, there was a table with a father and a son, and the son spilled a glass of milk. The son was probably seven years old. The milk went all over the table, and the father said, he said, and I overheard it, he said, what good are you for anyway? The little boy just hung his head and said, nothing. The man who heard it said, I'll never do that. I'll never say that. That's the cruelest question you could ever ask a child. What good are you for anyway? Well, A few years went by as his own son was growing up and committed a minor infraction. It really angered the father, and his father turned to his own son and said, What good are you for anyway? And his son did the same thing, hung his head and said, Nothing. And it struck him, the damage that he was doing to his son. He wished he could take the words and stuff them back in his throat. And then he thought, You know, there's nothing wrong with the question. It's the answer. A little bit later, the same thing. A minor infraction was committed, and he said to his son on purpose, What good are you for anyway? Before he could answer, he grabbed his son, drew him close to his bosom, hugged him, kissed him on the head, and said, I'll tell you what you're good for. You're good for loving. You're good for loving. So words are powerful. They have weight. Words get inside of us. They affect our emotions. Not only do they affect our emotions, they affect our relations, the way we feel about other people. Hey, psst, did you hear about so-and-so? Really? Yeah, I heard. They affect the way you feel about others. Even a slight whisper can change our attitude about another person. Listen to how Solomon puts it in one of his Proverbs. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Mmm, that tastes good. Did you hear about... Really? What else did you hear? 
You've given me an appetizer. Do you have a meal? Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Have you ever experienced someone that you know suddenly appear cold to you and you don't know why? How come that person acts that way? They were so warm and friendly. It's like the, the wind of your relationship has suddenly shifted and gone a different course. Many times it's because a whisperer has separated the closeness of the friends, driven you away from that other person. A Japanese proverb says the tongue is but three inches long and can kill a man six feet tall. It can murder a person, destroy a person. So words have weight. They get inside of us. They affect our emotions. They affect our relations. And more importantly, they affect our convictions. The way we believe about truth, about life. They form our convictions and our belief systems. In Proverbs 10, it declares, The lips of the righteous nourish many. Another proverb, chapter 11, in the Living Bible, says, Evil words destroy, godly skill rebuilds. You see, when you hear words... Those words make impressions on you. You're always filtering. You're going, yes, yes, no, no. Don't want to hear that. Want to hear that. They form impressions and convictions on your heart, attitude and perspective. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, man, what a great sermon it was. It was so good that it affected the conviction of the people who listened. It says, as Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. And they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, hoping they would ask that question, said, Repent and turn to Jesus Christ. But they were cut to the heart. It formed conviction. Now that's good when they're the right words, and it's bad when they're the wrong words. That's why the Bible has a lot to say about false doctrine and false prophets and the irreparable damage that can be done in the lives of people who give false prophets an audience. The more you expose yourself to them without the proper biblical filters, it forms wrong views of life, of God, of truth. What do you listen to? Do you listen more to spiritual stuff, spiritual words, or do you listen more to non-spiritual words? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, look, I live in the secular world, all right? I'm around people who spew their garbage and their value systems all day long. I am around non-spiritual words all the time. I'm not asking that question. I'm asking deliberately, what do you expose yourself to? Given the choice of information that is spiritual or non-spiritual, which do you gravitate toward the most? Spiritual or non-spiritual? I found an interesting quote by Soren Kierkegaard, 1800s. He's the Danish philosopher. Now, this is long before Letterman, Leno, or the television was even invented. Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, said, Suppose someone invented an instrument, a convenient little talking tube, which, say, could be heard all over the land. I wonder if the police would not forbid it, fearing the whole country would become mentally deranged if it were used. That is prophetic. It wasn't even invented. What a thing to say, though. I wonder if the police would not forbid it, fearing the whole country would become mentally deranged if it were used. I'm not saying if you have a television, you're a sinner. I'm saying do you deliberately expose yourself more to that which is non-spiritual or spiritual? Because whatever you put in will grow. Whatever you sow in your heart, you'll have a harvest. 
it will make a difference. So words have weight. They affect, they get inside of us and affect our emotions, our relations, as well as our convictions. Secondly, words spread around us. That's the other quality that adds to that proverb we just mentioned. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, I found that words seldom die when you say them. They come back. Words, interestingly enough, are a lot like seed sown in soil. It grows. Something happens to them. They produce a crop. What kind of crops do your words produce? Have you ever had your words come back to you? Hey, I heard somebody told me that you said that... Now, listen, I'm a public speaker. Words always come back to me because I share them here in public. Uh, The words get taped. They find their way all over the place. They're on the radio. So I am very publicly accountable for what I speak. So they're going to produce something. They're going to spread and produce a crop. What kind of crop does your words produce? They can produce an evil crop or a good crop. You know, speech can spread like a verbal fungus and erode people's reputations. Proverbs 16 tells us, Evil is on the lips of a wicked man. Like a burning fire, a perverse man, here's the picture, sows strife. Picture that. It's like a field where the weeds grow up. Now look back in chapter 6 where we began. It's the same thought. In chapter 6, verse 19, one who sows discord among the brethren. The thought is that speech spreads in its effect. It might begin as a whisper. It might begin in secret as a gossip. But it has the power to spread like fire. That is power. That is power. You know, even a prayer request. If the prayer request is done to give information that would damage another person, all you are doing is sowing discord among the brethren in a very spiritual way. I'll give you an example. You're at a prayer meeting. There's a bunch of significant people around. And so out loud you decide to pray this. Oh, Lord! Help Skip. Suddenly ears perk up. Hmm? Help him, Lord. You know he's a jerk and uh, a tyrant and he's so dishonest. Now, maybe somebody told you that I am. In that prayer request, John or Pete or Angie or whoever might hear that and say, Oh, really? Well, that is a concern. I'm going to share that prayer request with a few other people when I get home. Now, if it's done because it's tasty trifles and it can destroy a reputation and sow discord among the brethren, it can do great damage. There's a flower shop in a place called Campbell's Creek, West Virginia. Small town. Campbell's Creek is not only a small town, but because it's a small town, it's a gossiping small town, as so many are. Nothing else to do but talk. The guy who owns the flower shop is a 41-year-old man by the name of Bill Graolis. Bill Graolis started losing weight. People started talking about Bill Graolis losing weight. You know what they said? He's got AIDS. They just said it. Who knows who said it? Who came up with it? But it was a rumor. Well, this is what happened. He found one morning graffiti all over his wall. Words, notes that he was a queer, that he had the AIDS virus. 
Customers that had been his customers for 20 years just didn't show up anymore. He lost business. One lady who had been a customer for years parked her car out of the curb, ran up to the glass door, opened it slightly, threw the check in and jumped back, got in her car and sped away. Wouldn't even go in. You know, you don't want to get near anybody. It got so bad that Bill got tested and he posted his blood test results on the window of his establishment. He was clean. He was fine. The medical establishment said negative. Rumors didn't stop. Kept going. Got worse. The attorney general of West Virginia said, shame on the people of Campbell's Creek. This guy is clean. It's a rumor. Didn't stop. Now his van has been trashed, vandalized. The windows ripped out of his establishment. He wasn't destroyed by AIDS. He was destroyed by the contagious gossip and rumor of other people. You know what Bill was doing? Dieting. And he got off his diet because of the pressure. Words spread around us. Now that's for the evil. They can also spread for good. Words implant important ideas in the minds and hearts. They can ramify for the good. Proverbs 12 says, A man will be satisfied with the good by the fruit of his mouth. And again, Proverbs 10, verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Isn't that a great picture? A well in ancient times was a place of public refreshment. It's where the community got together to get their water, to be refreshed together. And that well had a great impact on hundreds of people. And so what you say can reach out and benefit others, or it can poison others. Proverbs 15, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Over in chapter 18, verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowering brook. So your words have weight. They get inside of you. They spread around you. Now, since we know that to be a fact from the Bible, that is what the preaching of the gospel is all about. The preaching of the gospel is a bunch of people who get around and say, God told us the greatest secret ever told, that he sent his son to die for sinners, and I'm one of them, and he saved me, and you know what? I'm going to do that to everybody else. Psst, hey, have you heard that God sent his son to die for your sins? Spread it around. That's what evangelism is. One of the greatest stories is the story of Paul going to the church at Thessalonica in the New Testament. He goes there. He can't shut up. He tells them about Jesus. They receive His words. That's how Paul put it in his letter. You have received my words. See, those words are spreading. Then it says, From you the word of the Lord has sounded forth or echoed forth. You couldn't keep it a secret either. You started spreading it around. That's spreading it around for good. So your words can be powerful in that they can spread. Compare two people. The first, Adolf Hitler. The second, Billy Graham. Both powerful speakers, very persuasive. Both have spread their speech to the populace. Adolf Hitler in the early 1900s sought counsel from a well-renowned European astrologer by the name of Eric Jan Hannesen, who taught him the art of mass communication, group psychology, how to move people. It is said that For every word in his book, Mein Kampf, by Adolf Hitler, that 125 people lost their lives in Europe. Compare him to Billy Graham. He's spoken to more people in the world about Jesus Christ than anyone else. 
last year, a year and a half ago, maybe it was two years by now, over in Puerto Rico, we were witnessing that incredible event of Billy Graham preaching to an audience of several thousand, but it being beamed up, reaching 185 countries around the world, being able to be watched by 10 million people at the same time. And then next month, we need to be in prayer for this, another massive global satellite outreach where almost every country in the world will downlink it, and we figure over 2.5 billion people will hear the gospel. That is the word power of the word spreading around the world. Now I want to close with a final thought. That is the weight of our words. Let's look at the weakness of our words. You say, well, that sounds like a contradiction. No, it's not. Because your words can be powerful, but they can also fall short. You say, how can they fall short? Words can never substitute for deeds. That is how. Proverbs 14, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Did you get that? I wish that saying were in every counselor's office in America. Mere talk leads only to poverty in more ways than one. A lot of times people will sit there and they tell me, tell me, counsel me, tell me, but they'll never put into practice what is being shared. And especially from a biblical perspective, you can quote scriptures all day long, but if a person doesn't apply it, then it's useless. Turn over with me to Proverbs 26 for just a moment. Verse 23. Fervent lips with a wicked heart. Now that's a drastic combination. Are like earthenware covered with silver dross. He who hates disguises it with his lips, lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and flattering mouth works ruin. Back to verse 23. That's the key text. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. The NIV puts it the best. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware. See, words are powerful, but they are powerless when not accompanied by deeds. If it's just words, it's like a coating of glaze. Oh, it looks pretty, but there's no substance to it. It's only weak. If you tell your wife, honey, I love you, but you never demonstrate it, it's just words. If you say, I surrender all, but you never do it, it's just words. And those words are weak when not accompanied by a lifestyle. Listen to Jesus as he gives a preview of coming attractions. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did this in your name and we did that in your name. That's what they'll say. Good words, great speech. Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Your words didn't match up to a lifestyle. It's just words. And therein is the weakness of words. In 1 John, over and over again, we read this. If a man says he loves God, but he does this, he's a liar. If a man says he walks in the light, but lives that way, he's a liar. Several times, if you say, if you say, if you say, but if you don't do, the words are weak. I've shared what Irma Bombach has said, and I think it fits here. Never go to a doctor whose house plants have died. It's good counsel, isn't it? 
I would also say then, why bother going to a Christian who seems lost himself? The right words, nothing behind it. A profession without a practice. I was speaking to a friend from Kansas City. Years ago in Kansas City, when a network would sign off at night, I mean late at night, like early morning, one, two in the morning, they would always close off the evening with a minister getting on the screen, organ music would play, he would give some little nice sermonette, a few words, a few little scriptures were quoted, and then they would show the American flag, and then uh, music, Star Spangled Banner, and then it would close the broadcasting session. One night, as my friend was watching in Kansas City, Kansas, the organ music came up. The lights came up on a pulpit. The lights came up to the preacher and the camera came into his face. And he opened his Bible. And he said, Words, words, words. Words, 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 words. Words, 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 words. Words, 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 words. He kept doing this. Then he turned like he's turning to a reference. Words. Words, 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 words. Then he would like give an evangelistic appeal. Words, 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 words. He calmed down as if bringing it back to the appeal. Words, words. Words, words. He'd hold out his hand. Words, 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 words. Then he'd bring it down like he was going to pray, but rather than saying in Jesus' name, amen, he would say words, 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 words. And they ended the broadcast. My friend, when he first looked at that, said, that angers me. He's making fun of the Bible, but more than making fun of the Bible... He understood later what he was doing is that we have relegated this to the end of a broadcast evening at 2 in the morning. This stuff is important. But really all it has become to so many people is words, 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 words. Drone on, shut it off, go to bed. And so often this book has become too many people who proclaim it. Words, words, words. Jesus said something interesting. By a man's words will he be justified, and by his words shall he be condemned. I would say words are pretty important, wouldn't you? And the most important words you could ever say are the words, yes, to Jesus Christ. It's where it begins. Yes, Jesus, I am a sinner. Yes, I admit that I am. Yes, you died for my sins. Yes, I will surrender my life, all of it, to you. That's where you begin. If you haven't really begun there and following from your heart, it's just a bunch of words. Let it be more than that. Father, we come and as we pray to you, we are using our words. And we have read words and we speak words to one another. May they be meaningful because they are powerful. They have that unique ability to get inside of us, affect us, spread around us. But they can also be weak when it's just words that cover up an empty pot when it's just a little glaze, but there's no substance. I pray, Lord, that we would not be those who profess, but those who practice what we profess, as by your grace we do what we say. Lest 
that term hypocrite be applied to us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.